The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's also a member of the Society of St. Pius V and the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Doing well. Good. Doing well, Father. Uh, Father, you know, tomorrow, uh, January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany of Our Lord is certainly a very, very big day for, uh, for Catholics. A uh, very great feast day, but it's also a very important day for our country with the uh, the joint session of, of Congress meeting uh, tomorrow to uh, essentially de determine the outcome of the presidential election. And um, so certainly a very, very momentous uh, momentous day for, for Catholics and, and really all, all Americans and the whole, whole, whole world in general. Um, so we'll certainly uh, plan to have uh, further comment uh, upon that as, as developments happen there uh, in, in Washington, D.C. <coughs> Um, but, but, Father... Well, the next 24 hours should be, well, it should be, as you say, momentous, Tom. Uh, could be catastrophic, could be redemptive, <laughs> but uh, we have to pray. And our Lord says that there are certain kinds of devils that can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. And so we certainly have been encouraging people to pray and have been praying ourselves, but Fasting, well, this might be exactly one of those type of evil spirits that needs to be uh, uh, confronted with fasting on our part, too. So it's something to give some serious thought to and sure. do more than think about it. But, yes, uh, we are asking, um, you know, the members of the House of Representatives and the members of the Senate meeting in joint session tomorrow to object to the fraud and to object to uh, electors who are uh, really the result of fraud. <clears throat> and it's going to take um, a lot of common decency and a lot of common sense, but it's going to take uncommon courage on their part because the fury of the left is, is so... Um, it, it, it's not just unscrupulous. I mean, we, we read about uh, Josh... Hawley, the uh, senator, and his uh, his wife and newborn baby uh, threatened, you know, surrounded and threatened by Antifa. Um, well, he's not at home. You know, they, they did this to uh, uh, the newscaster uh, Tucker Carlson, right? right. Uh, also, they're, they're just absolutely, they stop at nothing. But... These are these are people who, uh, you know, their bread and butter basically is is murdering babies in the womb. We always have to re go back to that. That's like their default mode. Um, once they have accepted and embraced abortion, abortion as a good thing, there's nothing left. There's not a, a shred of conscience left or decency in the character of the individual. And so um, they, they're absolutely despicable in what they do. And uh, this is what uh, they're going to be braving. There are people going to Washington, D.C. now to support President Trump tomorrow while the uh, joint, uh, how, you know, Houses of Congress are meeting. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they're going to be uh, beset with all manner of abuse. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the mayor, the female late mayor of... Uh, Washington, D.C. has already called in the National Guard not to watch Antifa or BLM, but to watch the Trump supporters. They're supposed to contain them and control them. And so they're the ones who are out of control. So this is the kind of hostile environment they're going into. And, uh, but it's the kind of hostile environment that is going to become uh, the order of the day, uh, depending how things, well, actually, pretty much no matter which way things go tomorrow. But we have to pray that the, um, those who are resisting the fraud 
And as they say, stopping the steal, or trying to prevent the stealing of the country and the presidency, and um, that they have the courage to stand their ground and not to be bought or bullied into um, yielding, handing the country over to to the the leftists' enemies and uh, basically to the the operatives of communist China. Well, that seems to be what's at stake here. Yeah. So we have a lot to pray for just in the next 24 hours. And yes, we'll have a lot to say about that tomorrow. Um, there'll, there'll be a lot going on uh, that will demand commentary. So Absolutely. Well, Father, one, one other issue that uh, continues to go on as well is, um, is the one regarding the, the vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, that we've, we've been dealing with uh, some length on this program. But, um, Father, in, in particular, in response to our, our, one of our, our previous programs where we talked about the vaccine again and, and, and attempt to clarify uh, some of the positions, we received a lot, of, um, a lot of feedback in regards to that program, Father, um, multiple, multiple emails and comments. Um, uh, so I'd, I'd like to just read through one or two of these here, Father, and um, get your response uh, Especially on this first one, this viewer says that in uh, the program that we posted on April 9th, you spoke, Father Jenkins, you spoke definitively and assertively about the vaccine. Uh, you said that it would be morally impossible to, t to touch it. You said the phrase, quote, morally impossible, end quote, twice. Uh, you referred to both the fetal cell lines and the sinister intentions of Bill Gates and his cronies with regard to any so-called COVID vaccines. However, in the uh, Christmas week episode, Father, you seem to be saying that if one has a good enough reason, then one can take the vaccine. So, Father, what happened to the morally impossible um, mm. nature of these vaccines? And why is it now that if someone has a good enough reason, uh, they can take the vaccine? Mm -hmm. Very good question, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, last program I did ask uh, to get copies of the of the emails, and I think you gave me a representative sampling of them. I didn't get all of them, but I did look at those you gave me, Tom, and, and I, I assume that what I read there was pretty much representative of, of all of the yes. uh, messages came in. And uh, with regard to the, the, just the whole issue of the vaccines in the first place, it really is a, a kind of a hot-button issue, and it's like the hot potato almost. It's become like the hot potato issue. I mean, among our traditional Catholics, you you have those who are just adamantly anti-vaccine just in principle, you know, regardless of all of the, you know, uh, politics and medicine about it, just the whole idea, uh, they just reject the whole idea of a vaccine. And then you have the militant vaxxers, you know, who are just insisting, uh, and even among our own traditional Catholics. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a very difficult subject to broach um, in such a way that you can just look at it dispassionately, you know, from the standpoint of the Catholic moral teaching. Um, but in this particular case now, we do have uh, uh, medicine and fake medicine. We have science and fake science, and we have actually anti-science, and we have politics. Uh, just all of that is involved in this. And if you really were to look at this whole development in context, we'd have to say that one might say, well, you know, vaccine, that's just one, one element of the whole thing we're facing right now. But I, I see the vaccine issue as pretty much the emblematic of the whole problem. I mean, the whole problem. The, the idea of the introduction of this, this virus, right? The idea that it can be a political tool, a very power political tool to seize power, to so terrify people they will gladly give up their rights for the promise of security, even to those who invoke science and con constant, constantly contradict themselves in the name of science. And uh, people who are willing to go through all kinds of restrictions and mandates and so on, um, and not only be, be grateful for them, but actually want to enforce them on everybody else, you know? Uh, almost as though it were a religion, you know? 
the new religion of COVID-19. Uh, Covidism, I guess. Um, and, and here you have, growing out of all of this, is vaccine, 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 vaccine. Okay, this is the constant drum. You've got to have the vaccine. got to have the vaccine. This is the great salvation from this current scourge, okay? Um, so when people bring up the matter of the vaccine and when people get upset about it, and when people get upset about what I've said about it, uh, I take it very seriously, and I take it very seriously because I consider I don't consider this to be a side issue. I don't consider this to be making much out of nothing, making mountains out of molehills. I think this is what they're actually driving at. And I think this is like the, the ult, kind of an ultimate milestone for them to get that vaccine into every single bloodstream of every single human being on the face of the earth, which is what their goal is. <clears throat> so um, I know one writer said, I, I really need to look at the nanotechnology of it. And, uh, you know, on the surface of it, one might say, oh, come on, you know, that's kind of nitpicking. It's not nitpicking. It's really going to the heart of the, of the matter. Or, you know, you might say this has more than one heart. I mean, you see, um, it's hard to, to address this clearly when it's like the Hydra. There are like nine heads or 900 heads of this thing that are coming at you from all directions. Um, and, you know, you, you go to lop off one head and you go to use the, the, the torch, you know, to sear the head so that doesn't get out, grow back two heads, you know. But the rest of them are coming at you. It's very difficult to, to address this. And it's not an accident. It's by design that it is. The enemy who is foisting this upon the human race has, has designed it this way to be almost impossible to address it in a clear-cut way and say, okay, this is an answer to this, and this is an answer to that, and this is an answer to that. I mean, it's like you're juggling all these, these, these things to try to come up with some kind of coherent response. So when the individual says, look into the nanotechnology of it, you say, yes, that's a very important aspect of it, no doubt about it. And there are others who say, well, look, I mean, it's developed from abor the cells of aborted fetuses, babies, um, uh, who are murdered in the womb. Or, look, this, uh, this vaccine says we haven't derived the, uh, the vaccine from the cells of aborted babies, but we are using the aborted fetal cells to test the vaccine. So we've got that involved here, too. And you've got, you know, all of these companies working on vaccines. There are reports that there was a vaccine that was actually developed even before the disease escaped from China, okay? Um, that they were just holding, holding it in abeyance all this time, waiting for people to be so desperate that they would accept it. I mean, even, even uh, Anthony Fauci, who is almost like Dr. Faustus, you know, with Mephistopheles. I mean, he's Anyway, I won't go into explanation of that. People will have to you know, look at why I say that. But even Dr. Fauci, you know, has admitted openly that he lied. Um, he thinks it's funny, I guess. Uh, now he thinks it says it just proves how clever he was that he lied successfully. Saying that, oh, you know, we can't uh, reach herd immunity until... 60% of the people have been vaccinated, right? Now he's saying, no, it's actually 90%. And when he was asked, well, why did you change from 60 to 90%? He said, well, I said 60% because I knew it was 90% back when, but I didn't think people would go for it. So I had to use 60 so as not to kind of scare them off because people weren't ready for that yet. <clears throat> but now I think people are ready to accept the fact that 90% of the people have to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity. So it's whatever the market will bear, whatever the people are willing to hear. And so this is what liars do. And so the question is, why would anyone believe anything the man says anymore, ever, again? And the answer is because they do. Because they lie too. Because liars, in a sense, admire liars. And the bigger the lie and the more you get away with, the better a liar you are, the more they're on board with you, you know? This is the world as it is today, I'm afraid, because of the left. 
leftism and lying go together. And they, 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 um, lying is the primary tool of the left. So, you know, you've got all of this, you know, obfuscating the problem. But I, let me just uh, try to now get back on track with, and again, I'm going to make another effort to try to be, uh, try to be clear, okay? Yeah. Um, and I apologize for not being clear. I feel like if I have confused people and, and uh, again, so the points that you read there, I think are very good points. But I would like to try to clarify matters a bit, uh, as well as I can, by the grace of God. You see, there are those who are focusing on the fact that these... Well, let, let, uh, actually, let me just start with this, okay? And this is kind of an introduction to an answer to this. In 1972, and this sounds completely off the wall and completely unrelated, but it's not. In my mind, anyway. In 1972, an airplane crashed in the Andes Mountains. The airplane was carrying a rugby team full of teenagers to a match from between Uruguay and Chile. The plane crashed due to pilot error. And of the 40 young people, students who were on that plane, only 16 survived. The rest died, and the crew died, either during the crash, as the plane slammed into the snowy mountainside, or of the elements afterwards freezing to death. Those who remained alive we're left with the most dire situation of survival. Uh, an airplane flight that should have taken maybe an, uh, an hour and a half, two hours. Now, all of a sudden, they had no provisions. They were freezing there at the height, I think it was 11,000 feet, which is pretty cold up there. And um, somehow they had to find a way to survive or perish with the rest. And uh, it was it turned into a 72-day ordeal, 72 days, that they had to survive under those conditions on that mountainside. In fact, uh, some of them, without any protective gear or anything, had to walk over the mountains and walk all the way down with nothing. They had to walk out of there to alert people to where, they, where that plane disappeared because they couldn't find it anywhere. Practically buried in the snow. So, all trace of these people and their airplane had disappeared for 72 days. So, what they did was they resorted to cannibalism. Now, you think, you know, cannibalism is an awful thing. What kind of a sin is cannibalism? What kind of sin is it to cannibalize the body of another human being? It's a gross, gross sin, you know. Um, when our Lord in St. John chapter 6, seemed to be suggesting that when he promised to give his own body and blood as food and drink. I mean, the people who had witnessed the miracle of the day before, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, and who wanted to make our Lord King, walked away. They just walked away muttering, who can listen to this? Who can listen to this? They were so horrified. But they weren't looking at it through the eyes of faith, and that was the thing. They did not have faith. Um, but that's what it takes. It takes faith to understand what our Lord was actually promising there, that he would be our sacrifice, and we would partake of his sacrifice by receiving him. Um, this was not, not cannibalism at all. It was the Son of God, by a miracle, giving himself to us out of love, his living, glorified self, living but crucified died, buried, and risen, and glorified self in Holy Communion to give his life to us, as he'd given his life for us. But they didn't see that, you know. They All they could see was cannibalism, cannibalism, how horrible it is. This is a natural reaction. That's the problem. They needed the supernatural reaction, but they didn't have faith to do it. 
But down through the ages, we see cannibalism as a horrible, horrible crime. Uh, and it is, ordinarily. But in this case, you had people who actually were going to die unless they survived. And the only way they, they, they could survive was this way. Were they condemned for practicing the cannibalism? They did. I mean, they had to survive, and it's gross. It's just horribly grotesque. And I mean, even talking about it is just makes your skin crawl. Think about it. But they actually had to consume the, the bodies, the throats and bodies of their teammates, you know, who died in the crash. But this is what kept them alive. Was it moral for them to do so? Were they committing a mortal sin? Were they sinning mortally in doing that? Actually, no. No one condemned them for what they did. No one found them guilty of any crime for what they did uh, against any human law or against any divine law. Um, in those circumstances, it was moral for them to do what they did. Now, not all of them necessarily could do it, right? Could bring themselves to do it, understandably so. But there are those who starvation and survival, the need to survive for their own families and so on, made them able to overlook that, as difficult as it was, and they did survive. And actually, one was a medical student who actually went on to become a medical doctor and saved many lives by his medical practice. Um, so there are things that are just horribly abhorrent to us. That, you know, one could say they are terribly horrible and criminal and sinful even under certain normal circumstances. But in such an extreme case like that, the church herself says this was not sinful for them to do this. Uh, to commit these acts of cannibalism, which ordinarily would just be so unthinkable to people, you know. Um, and the reason why I mention that, Tom, is because we have the same reaction when we think about, uh, you know, using the cells of aborted babies to develop vaccines. We're just absolutely horrified by the thought of it. And it is horrible. And there's, there's no possible justification for that, right? Uh, for what they did there. The question is, is the idea that of just using a vaccine now, after all this time that was developed that way, is that necessarily a mortal sin for the person who takes that vaccine? There are people who are just saying, this vaccine, regardless of whether it's good or bad, it cannot ever be justified because it was developed from the cells of fetal cells of aborted babies. And so it's intrinsically evil to take it. And anyone who takes that vaccine is a mortal sinner and they're going to go to hell. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Sorry, but it's not. <laughs> I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just apologizing for the fact that people might want to say, this is the end of the story. That's all there is to it. This makes it intrinsically evil and a mortal sin for you to take that vaccine. If you do it, you're guilty of mortal sin and you will lose your soul. You'll go to hell for that. But the church doesn't teach that in her moral theology. <clears throat> she doesn't teach that there are no circumstances under which a, a vaccine, which in its own right uh, might be helpful, um, has to be rejected in all cases and is intrinsically evil to take such that one is necessarily committing a mortal sin in taking it. And that's what a priest has to think about when he's talking about the morality of these things. He has, to, he has to think about the question of, well, is it intrinsically evil such that it's a mortal sin to take it? Now, I realize that I said uh, morally impossible, okay? And that could well be interpreted as being intrinsically evil. <coughs> and frankly, I might well have been thinking that at the time, you know? Because I must say, my, my, my thinking has developed a bit over this. And the reason being is because I've really been delving into that question of the church's moral teaching on the question uh, specifically with related to, related to this, 
of whether this would have to be mortally sinful on the grounds of the development of the vaccine from the aborted fetal cells, right? And um, I, I just see that the, the church's moral teaching does not, does not say that that would necessarily be intrinsically evil, okay? So, yes, if I've rethought the issue, then, uh, you know, between the morally impossible and the intrinsic evil uh, question, there might be an equivalence in those two things. <clears throat> but I think that any um, traditional priest who really delves into that is going to find that they cannot say that it is intrinsically evil and that anybody who's going to take that vaccine, us, I mean, apart from all the other questions, right? Apart from the medical questions, apart from the political questions, and so on, that it's morally impossible to take that. <clears throat> if, I mean, if, if someone would say, look, those teenagers who died in that plane crash, uh, what if they had been murdered? What if, what if the pilot deliberately rammed the plane into the mountain to, to destroy them and destroy their lives? Uh, would that have been a great evil? Of course it would have been murder, right? <coughs> As it turns out, of course, the pilots did not do this. It was a mistake, okay? They turned too soon in the wrong place and found themselves uh, desperate to gain altitude that they couldn't gain. But nonetheless, <coughs> if this had been a wanton, flagrant act of murder, and all of those uh, students who perished, perished because someone had chosen to kill them, uh, to murder them. Would that have changed the fact, excuse me, if they died as a result of murder, like the babies died, would that have made it intrinsically evil for someone to, again, eat of them to survive? Would that have changed anything, really? For those who had to indulge in that cannibalism to survive. And it wouldn't have changed that, the morality of what they did. It wouldn't have changed the morality of what they did at one in one bit. You see what I mean? <clears throat> so, um, anyway, uh, just because something is absolutely abhorrent and, you know, in most all imaginable circumstances, is something that would be sinful, and even gravely sinful, doesn't mean that uh, it is something that is intrinsically evil. Mm -hmm. Murdering those students on the mountain in Uruguay would have been intrinsically evil, and that would have made it intrinsically evil to do the murder, as murdering the babies in the wombs would have been, was intrinsically evil. <coughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean that well, I, I guess I'm just trying to find another way to say it, to try to be clear, but I think you get the point. Yeah. Father, one... But, I mean, that's not the whole point. I know that, because yeah. we're talking about a vaccine that is poison. Yeah. Right? I know that, and I want to get into that, too, mm -hmm. a little bit. Well, Father, um, one, pro probably the most contested uh, point that we... Uh, we received request for you to clarify was was on the 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 issue of the aborted fetal cells. It seemed that um, that your position was based a lot on the fact that uh, you know this this vaccine was developed from from uh, an abortion or, or multiple abortions that took place decades and decades ago, and so that 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 evil is so far removed now um, that you know our participation in this is so remote that we're not culpable in, in any way. But we've had multiple um, people send us information about how. Um, if if that is the case that this vaccine was developed from an abortion decades and decades ago that in fact the testing that, that is occurring now mm -hmm. is is constantly occurring with with new abortions that are currently mm -hmm. taking place now right. and so it seems that your argument was based on you know this abortion was so old but in fact um, all of the testing that was required to to make this vaccine available is from abortions that are taking place right now so does that now is way, that true uh, my understanding it, it, it is, may well be yeah, true, yes, yeah. because I've been trying to find out 
the providence of these vaccines that they're coming out with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got uh, AstraZeneca, right? You've got uh, Pfizer, you've got Moderna, you've got these various outfits. I think Bill Gates is funding virtually all of them, is what I've been told. But I find it very difficult to get reliable information about that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but if somebody were to say, well, look, they're still using aborted baby cells to develop these vaccines, yeah. they're still using them, <clears throat> then I would say, well, that makes it much more proximate, not remote. That makes it much more proximate. Yeah. And that does definitely enter into the morality of this. Yeah. That if they are developing these things even now, using uh, the, uh, the cells of aborted babies to test them, to manufacture them, to whatever they, they do. Um, uh, and that that is... Uh, you know, well, part of the, the process of developing the, these these vaccines, then, and this is an ongoing thing, that that does definitely affect the morality of it. Yeah, you know? mm -hmm. if we knew that was a fact, if we knew that was true, yeah, and uh, as you say, as far as you know, that is true. Too. Well, one in particular, we had uh, a viewer sent us an email from the Dayton Right to Life group, and mm -hmm. they. Um, I don't have all the information in front of me, but they basically talked about the idea of that it's not technically used in the in the development of the vaccine, but it's used in the the research that they do to test it. So the way that they'll test the vaccine is by taking these aborted fetal cells from abortions that are occurring now, and they will use these to grow uh, these humanized lungs in mice, and then they will test the vaccine um, and see the effects that it has on these humanized lungs and these humanized mice. And so it's used in the testing, and this isn't necessarily this isn't necessary. Uh, the, the claim is that they don't have to be tested in this way. They can be tested in other ways that are more moral. But as far as I understand, the vaccine itself isn't actually technically developed with these. It's only the, these aborted fetal cells are only used in the testing of it. Right. So the argument is that we should, you know, we should uh, we should demand more ethical testing, um, you know, procedures for these vaccines. But um, that, that, that's, that's pretty much the extent of the information that, that I have come right. across. Well, so you know, in a sense, I, I can see that this goes to the nanotechnology aspect of it, too. And uh, I understand what I gather from what the gentleman mentioned about nanotechnology is the fact that we're talking about mRNA, messenger RNA, an unproven, essentially really untested uh, technology, <clears throat> the idea behind this mRNA, and not, not all the vaccines, again, this is part of the confusion because you've got, I don't know, six or seven different yeah. claimants. Of, you know, Chinese say they've got some vaccine of their own, and the Russians say they've got their uh, vaccine. We have uh, Big Pharma here, you know, these companies producing vaccines of their own. It's very hard to get a, a straight story on these things. Yes. Yeah. And at least I found it to be hard to get a straight story in these things. And it's very confusing and very, very, again, like the whole medical morass now, it's very, very contradictory. Oh, yeah. That's how I find Definitely. it. So <laughs> you just don't know what to believe that they're telling you. But we know that some of these vaccines are being based upon a messenger RNA. And the whole point is that these... <clears throat> Uh, the, these are nanostructures that are going to be injected into people's bloodstreams. They're going to actually go throughout their system and they're going to actually change the DNA. They're going to actually somehow meld with the DNA in a person's body. I mean, a horrific thought, you know, to begin with. Uh, talk, you couldn't get more invasive than that, really, you know, and changing something, DNA. And the idea that we're told is this is going to kind of implant in our DNA now a structure that will enable our DNA to produce its own vaccines, right? So you're turning uh, our own DNA into sort of vaccine factories in a sense, right? But uh, so when you're talking about this, Tommy, you're talking about them using uh, cells of aborted babies for testing, that very well could be part of this process, where they're actually looking to see what the mRNA is doing to the DNA of this in the cells of the aborted babies. I don't know. I mean, if they were going to do tests, I think that that would be probably the first place they'd go, right? Yeah. Uh, rather than live subjects, right? Yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me, even for someone, uh, for someone who doesn't know anything about it, in the sense I'm not a microbiologist and not a, uh, you know, biochemist or anything like that. But, uh, you know, one could see in a common sense sort of way that that certainly could play a factor here, mm-hmm. play a role here. And, uh, but the whole idea of the messenger RNA is chilling. I mean, it is like mad scientist type of stuff to do something so outrageous to people that you're, you're pumping this into their system that is going to actually alter their DNA. And uh, so many things come to mind over that. Um, um, someone actually sent me a video, and it's a legitimate video. It's not staged. It, it's, it's some somebody talking from a, a apparently a business medical point of view to a group of military personnel about this idea that they've, they've identified kind of the religious gene in a person oh, no. uh, that is responsible for, that is associated anyway with people having religious sentiments, religious feelings, religious convictions. And the presentation is such that they're saying, if we can vaccinate people against that gene, if we can alter that gene, we can effectively eliminate religious terrorism, religious extremism. This is what is on the table. This is what is being proposed here, okay, by the speaker. (coughs) Um, That they can reach into the human genome, extinguish what they consider to be a gene which uh, dictates a person's religious proclivities, right, or tendencies to uh, have faith, right, and uh, to take seriously belief in God and religion and so on, if they can extinguish that, if they can deactivate that by some kind of vaccine, that they can limit, they can eliminate religious extremism, religious terrorism, and all the rest. To think that they would be think even talking about this is is scary stuff. I mean, it's it's outrageous stuff to think that they can do this that would affect a person's character. What could be more sacred about the identity of a person than that? <clears throat> and I'm afraid what they would actually wind up doing is they would actually start tampering with the very thing that has conscience. That the very ability in us to uh, to relate to matters of conscience and right and wrong and devotion, loyalty, you know what I mean by that? All of that is tied together. And um, now somebody might say this, okay? Somebody might say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Father. Conscience is a matter of our soul, not a matter of our body. You can't say that conscience is rooted in our genome because that's a physical thing. And conscience, well, it's defined as the judgment of the practical reason concerning a matter of right and wrong here and now. It's a matter of conscience making a decision concerning right and wrong. So when you're returning, talking about right and wrong, you're talking about justice, you're talking about mercy, you're talking about charity, you're talking about spiritual things. So this is something in the soul. The power of reason is not a power merely of the, of the structure of the brain or anything. It is actually a function of the human soul, the intelligence and the will, the very faculties that make us like God, you know, in, a, the, in the likeness of God. And I say, yes, you're right. However, we have to realize that God fashioned the human body in the human brain, in such a way that it is united with the human soul. And the human brain has to be outfitted with the necessary structures for the soul to work and to express itself in this world. A, a, a gentleman who teach physics, teaches physics once contacted me with a problem. He said that he had just read an article that scientists, researchers, have been able to 
kind of simulate out-of-body experiences by stimulating certain parts of a person's brain. They can stimulate the part of the brain electronically with electrodes and make the person feel as though they're having like an out-of-body experience or there's somebody else in the room with them when there's no one really there, another presence there, something like that. And his, his concern was, <coughs> as a man of science, <coughs> that does this mean that all of these religious phenomena really are just based in our brain? And uh, just, you know, they all have to do with, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, brain function and have nothing to do with spiritual. So this, this religion, this experience of religion is nothing but a matter of the human brain, has nothing to do with the human soul. And he was concerned, you know, does this mean we can duplicate all religious experience this way? This was the message of the article, right? This was the point of the article. Oh, look, we can duplicate all these religious experiences just by monkeying around with the brain. So you see, there is no foundation for belief in a soul. And uh, this man, you know, from the scientific point of view, was concerned about that. But I just pointed out to him, well, not only does this not call into question the existence of the soul, it actually reinforces the idea that the human brain was fashioned for a soul. <clears throat> because the, the, the only even argument why there would be such things in the brain that would enable us to experience these things, to induce these, <clears throat> is if the brain was fitted to the soul precisely for the sake of enabling the soul to function through the brain and for us to see and hear and have these physical experiences that are spiritually very real, completely real. Now, it's possible for somebody to have some pathology like a tumor in the brain that would simulate some experience. We know that, okay? <clears throat> but the fact is, our brains are designed by God to match the powers of the soul and to serve the powers of the soul so that, yes, the body can experience these things precisely because they are real, and the soul is there. And um, so, uh, you know, when an angel appears to someone, for example, I mean, the, the eye can see, the ear can hear, you know, because of the reality of the presence of that, of that spiritual being, the angel. Um, really, the article was an argument against um, atheism. <laughs> it was showing that our brains really are made for sp these spiritual experiences uh, because we have a soul, not the contrary. You know, um, the Darwinians would have a terrible time trying to explain why these things developed if there is no soul. <laughs> You know what I mean, Tom? Sure. I, I don't know. Again, I don't want to be so unclear that I'm really confusing people again. But uh, anyway, and the reason why I mention this is um, because when you start injecting people with these, these vaccines that are designed to start monkeying with this whole uh, design in the human brain, in the human body, you really aren't playing God. And you are really attacking the very human identity, you know, how God designed us to be in the most horrible, corrupt, criminal way. I mean, who are the people who would dare do such things? Uh, well, we know who they are. They're the people who would try to darken the sun, yeah. like Bill Gates, right? Researchers in Harvard, why would they do it? Because they can, because they have the money to do it. What about the rest of us here on Earth? Don't we have anything to say about that? No, because they're going to save us from global warming. Are they risking a global winter? Yes, they are, but it's worth the risk as far as they're concerned because they're not the ones who are going to pay the price. <clears throat> this is madness, but it's criminal madness. And so, again, when we look at the vaccines, they're, 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 they're trying to enforce, they're trying to mandate that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth get this vaccine, you know what they're up to is no good. That this stuff is poison. 
And this stuff is all about absolute control over every man, woman, and child in the face of the earth. So um, can one allow himself to be injected with poison? Can one willingly in inject himself with poison? No. Could one inject himself with a, a, a religion-killing, a faith-killing vaccine that would destroy in his genome what <laughs> matches the ability for the, the brain to even think in terms of faith right? and religion? No. That would be criminal to do that. Um, but again, I mean, as abhorrent as it is, <coughs> and as one must do everything in his power to resist this and to refuse this, okay? I mean, as a priest, again, I come down to the question, well, um, what must I do to care for the souls who you know, would need the Mass and the sacraments. What am I willing to do? Would it be intrinsically evil for me to allow myself to be vaccinated so that I would be able to go to those in need of the Mass and the sacraments? Uh, I don't believe so, because as I say, I already have made the decision that, that when I was ordained, you know, that I'll have to risk my life to get to people who need the Mass and the sacraments <clears throat> and who need absolution and need to be anointed. Um, there are those who say I've been risking my life in getting into isolation to anoint those with COVID-19 um, and you know and, and have to fight my way to get to them you know um, so you know I mean Father Greenwell the same way we, we have done this repeatedly and uh, thought it was a matter of uh, just doing the right thing. Okay, this is what a priest is meant to do. Would I uh, be willing to put on a, an N95 mask or two and wear a face shield and have positive air pressure being pumped into the face mask and wear the hazmat suit and all the rest? <clears throat> yes, I would. Would I be willing, would it be possible for me to get inoculated with vaccine if I had to, to get to, to anoint that person who was dying, who was asking me to come to absolve him? Well, I think, yes, I think that uh, that would be permitted to do that. It would be a risk, okay? It would be a great risk, but it would be putting myself at risk. Right. Um, with regard to the question of the fact that they're using, again, fetal cells to test their vaccines, uh, that does raise another, an, an entirely uh, other question, too, though, that, that I, I would have to really ponder long and hard about that. But as a priest, I mean, for 40-some years now, I've been so geared to getting to those who need a priest, um, no matter what, you know. <laughs> Uh, try to exhaust all uh, possibilities and overcome all obstacles to get to them, if at all possible. Um, I'm still very much in that mode, you know. Uh, so the question is, would it be intrinsically evil to take that? Um, if they forced it, if they absolutely required it, and there was no other way possible to get to a soul that was in need of absolution, right? Um, should I just say, well, ask God to give you the grace of perfect contrition. I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. I have a very hard time doing that, <laughs> saying that. I think any, any traditional priest would, really, when faced with that dilemma. But what that does is tells you how extreme the situation would have to be to even justify it. One might say, well, Father Jenkins, you're backtracking now. Well, I'm, well, I'm not exactly, this is why I'm saying, you know, morally impossible, intrinsically evil. Um, I don't see it as backtracking to say, if it came down to it where the worst possible scenario was a soul was dying and asking them for, begging for a priest to come. And that's the only justification I could see that would... Uh, make it morally possible for me to take that vaccine. What about laypersons, though? Well, that's another question. You know? 
Um, would there be any, I mean, I'm saying that the extreme case is such, it's such an extreme case that I think it tells you just how awful this really is, yeah. how desperately awful this matter is of these vaccines. And um, that the worst possible case facing a priest could justify that. It would take that. And I can't think of anything else that would. Now, when you say about a layperson, what about a mother who was told, if you don't take this vaccine, we are taking your children away from you. And we are going to raise them as, well, who knows how they're going to raise them now. I mean, what, what perversions they would raise them, what they would do. And the mother would say, if you take my children away and you raise them your way, they're going to go to hell. And the mother would have a real sincere fear that you will raise my children as children of hell and you will do everything you can to see that in the end their souls are damned forever. <clears throat> Now, a mother who, who comes to that would be very, I think, similar in a situation with regard to the priest having a soul, right, in need of absolution. And I could see a mother thinking, well, um, I have no choice. I simply have no choice. I, I, I have to uh, do this in order to try to protect my children, you know, from what they're going to do to them. Um, now, would anybody say to that mother, if you take that vaccine, you are committing, you are doing something intrinsically evil, you are committing a mortal sin, and you are going to go to hell for this. Would any, who would say to that mother, under those circumstances, we personally take the, the authority upon ourselves to determine that you are doing something intrinsically evil, and if you do this, you're committing a mortal sin, and you are hopelessly lost to hell. I can't, I can't say that to that woman under those circumstances, to have her tell her. And the reason I can't say it is because I don't know that I have the authority to say it, that she's doing something intrinsically evil, such that it is it is uh, going to send her to hell. If she's moved, uh, she's given that, that choice. That, you know, for many women, mothers would say, that, well, there's no choice. I have no choice. You know, I just have to do this. But this is what people are saying, you know. When they're, when they're trying to say, okay, look, because of this or because of that, this is intrinsically evil. There are absolutely no circumstances possible under which you could justify taking this, no matter how extreme the circumstances may be. That's what they're saying, essentially. That anyone who does this is committing mortal sin, necessarily, and that they are, they're going to go to hell for it. Essentially, I mean, they could say, well, you'll have to repent of it, but you have to realize that it is, it is mortally sin and you will go to hell for doing this if you don't repent of this. So you, you just have to give up your children. You just have to let the state take your children away and uh, turn them into um, transgender whatevers and, uh, you know, uh, give them up to uh, witches' covens and satanic uh, rights, and you have to let them do this to your children. You just have to. You have no choice. And I would say that's very monstrous for who, who, would, who would say, I, I have the authority and the conviction to say this is the say, this is the case. I don't know. Not I. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not justifying what they're doing. Yeah. I'm just saying that th there are cases that they could threaten a person with that uh, I, don't, I don't know that it would be intrinsically evil uh, to uh, take this under all possible circumstances. But I think looking at those extreme circumstances should tell you how evil it is, how evil what they're doing really is, that it would come to that 
to even raise the question of whether it could be morally justified under those circumstances, extreme as they are. You know, Tom, we can we can debate this issue going on and on and on and on. And I mean, I, I know there are people who will look at it one way and then look at it another way and look at it another way. And there are lay people out there who really know very little of the church's moral theology, who will just uh, say, you know, in their minds, it's just very simple. Can't do it. Can't do it. That's all there is to it. I don't care. They take your kids away. They turn them into children of hell. They send. They take all your children. They they teach them. Uh, to hate God and hate our Lord, hate the church and, and lose their souls. There's nothing you can do about it. You just can't, you, you know, you, you just can't budge on this issue because they, they, they don't know, you know, they, they, they don't know what the church's moral principles and the church's moral teachings. So for them, it's all absolutely cut and dried. Uh, it's already saying, well, we want absolutes, we want absolutes, we want absolutes. <clears throat> Well, again, you know, not everything in the church's moral theology is absolute. And certainly, it's not up to individual priests to say, well, I'm going to give you the absolutes. Or the individual layperson to say, well, I'll tell you what the absolutes are. Right? So I think one has to be very careful about that. Uh, I know one has to be very careful about that. Um, I intend to continue really studying this issue because there are certain things in my mind that really... We're getting to a situation here where things are really, really down to the wire and we're being backed up to the wall. But I think um, people are getting off on the wrong track. And what I mean by that is, I'm not saying the whole debate is, is a bad idea. I'm not saying that. I'm saying these are things that need to be addressed. And there are good, very good traditional priests who might agree, disagree with me and some who might agree with me. There are some who might say I'm being too liberal, and some might say I'm being too rigid, right? Rigoristic, right? But I think all of us need to focus on one thing, stopping this mess. We need to focus on opposing this with all of our power. We need to focus on this. Uh, absolutely bring to bear on this all of our uh, spiritual, intellectual, political, <laughs> financial, everything we have to throw at this, we have to push back on this and insist, no, we will not allow this. You will not get away with this. And that's what we need to do, to stop the people who are, who are behind this, their vaccines and the whole mechanism, the whole show, right? It's all, it, it really is all tied together. I mean, you know, you got big pharma, okay, pushing the vaccines because of the money and the control. The politicians are all behind it because of the control. The communists are all behind it. Our, our, our pharmaceuticals are being made largely in China. So we have big pharma and China getting enriched by providing these things to us. Don't, don't people see this is all tied together? And so we have to actually rise up and say, no, we are not going to allow you to do this uh, to us, period. You know, when the New York State Legislature wants to uh, vote on whether every man, woman, and child in the state of New York has to be uh, vaccinated, or they can take you away and they will intern you, that's just the beginning, you know. Um, then I think there has to be a huge public outcry that, no, we will not do this. I've said this before. Where are the, where are the people in the referendums? Why are we not leading referendums? I don't understand this. We have the power to do so, but no one's doing it uh, that I know of. Uh, we can change the state constitutions, <laughs> you know, we can change our own, our own rulers if we needed to, the governors and the, and the mayors. and the, We have the power to rise up and do this. Where is the leadership to say, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to allow this to happen. If people put as much energy into squabbling and arguing among themselves as they, and, and apply that 
to actually getting up, as it were, on their hind legs and saying, no, we're not, we are going to, to, to actually take the, uh, the initiative here to, to, that will actually effectively confront this and turn this back. That's what we really need to do. I'm sure the people in New York have the power of referendum. In, the, in Ohio, it takes a thousand signatures to present to the attorney general in the state of Ohio to actually get, begin to get something on the ballot for a general vote of the people of Ohio. And you know what? I bet you, I mean, the people in Ohio voted a uh, majority for Donald Trump. If that's any indication, I think that if you put these issues before the people of Ohio, I think the people of Ohio would say, no, we are not going to have this. Why is this not happening? I don't know why. There's a kind of paralysis there. Uh, I've actually talked to attorneys about this, and they've actually looked into it. You know, they said, yes, we can do this. Nobody's doing it. Nobody will bother doing it. I don't get it. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if I've upset people. I think that I've backtracked on, on the whole thing. But I just want people to realize that sometimes these moral issues, especially the extreme moral issues require the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and they require a, uh, that's what the magisterium of the church is for. And, you know, we're trying to determine the church's mind on this on the basis of the moral theologians that she has approved of and given us um, to form the minds of her priests and seminarians for centuries now. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, we can argue among ourselves all we want about this whole thing. But meanwhile, the barn is burning. You know, the house is burning. The children are inside. And we actually can certainly argue about who started the fire. And, you know, we can argue about all different kinds of things, you know, about what kind of accelerant is being used and analyze all that to death. But we've got to put the fire out. And uh, I, that's going to take some very practical application to, to get, get moving on that. So, uh, you know, there, I mean, I would be willing to start a referendum personally here in the state of Ohio. But the fact is, I'm, I'm talking to people I think could actually, you know, take, get the practical steps going and nothing's happening. And this is very frustrating for me. And so uh, I, I would just uh, suggest that people in the various states of the Union look into the question of the popular referendums. Uh, what, does, what does their state constitution grant them? What powers? What is required? And, um, um, you know, try to find somebody who will actually get something moving and not have it fall on deaf ears, you know? But everybody seems to be saying, not, not high, not high, I don't know. Anyway, um, but I'm neither a microbiologist, nor am I a, a biochemist, nor am I a politician or a lawyer or anything like that. So maybe I'm all speaking out of turn here. Um, but I just think there are things we can do that we're not doing. And, uh, you know, God is, I think, trying to tell us that we need to stop um, thinking that, um, uh, you know, uh, we, we can just sit back and avoid the fray. We can't. We have to take initiatives, right? We have to take initiatives. And those initiatives take time, they take effort, they take investment, they take investment of money, too. But God wants to take the initiatives uh, for the sake of, you know, our children and their children and, uh, and, and the, the church, <laughs> our Lord. So, um, anyway. Anyway, I'm I, uh, sorry I got on. I apologize for that. But if um, people would not give up on the program, if they're still saying, you know, you're backtracking or you're failing us or whatever, I wish they would still write in and say, okay, you know, uh, now we're more confused than ever, <laughs> if necessary. Uh, what I'd like to do, I mean, is uh, I'd like to bring on three or four priests 
to sit here and actually discuss all of these matters um, and uh, see if, if that matters, if that helps a bit. Uh, it seems to me that people are running from one priest to another, listening to what each one says. Yeah. Uh, Bishop Snyder has spoken out on this too. And, and um, uh, you know, what we need is to reach some kind of consensus that we can all yeah. uh, morally subscribe to in good conscience. Well, uh, Father, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for your, uh, thanks for your leadership throughout all of this. I know it's well, definitely tough times, yeah, but uh, I'm not the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. I, I admit that. So it's okay. <laughs> um, and I do apologize if I've confused anyone on this issue, but uh, sometimes the issue is a little bit, a little bit complicated. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Father. Appreciate your time. You're very welcome, Tim. Yep. Thank you. Yep. God bless you all. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.